Welcome to Mega 64 Wait, I'm Movie sorry. Club. I can't hear you. Welcome to Mega 64 Movie Club. Mm, not sure if I, I can. That was too jarbled. Don't know if I can hear, hear what you're saying. Hold on. Oh, there you go. Well, welcome to Mega 64 Movie Club. Did we I, get that? I probably fucked up the cord on my mic by doing this bit. Oh, no, it's, I, I think, think we're still getting that. levels. You're Sorry fine. if the audio is fucked up, but that would actually be appropriate for yeah. today's episode. Today, we watched a movie that's all about sound. Yes. There's a sound for you. That's how you're listening to us now is I'm with sorry, sound everybody. and microphones. I'm sorry. Derek. I don't the, know what's wrong the with The amount me. of times you have pinned me against the wall for doing that. I don't I think know. I've I ever once, fly free. ever once heard Derek burp into a microphone. Yeah. That was a burp, though. It wasn't a belch. That's true. That's the difference. <laughs> I'll show you by the end of the episode. You'll, I'll show you the difference. Oh, yeah. He's drinking a ZVI. We're fucked. Yeah, that's it's true. I didn't oh, even think no. about that. <laughs> Well, it is rude to pass gas in public, so I apologize. But I did it for the effect so that you could know what it was like to listen to an audio recording of something you should not be listening to. Because that is the theme of today's movie that we watched. Mm -hmm. Everyone, we're talking about the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yep. We're having a conversation about the conversation. Isn't that crazy? That's a little bit weird <laughs> if you think about it. If you uh, really weigh uh, it, God, we get guys. we get psycho on this show. My mom doesn't like this show. <laughs> she says we get too crazy. Oh, Gangnam Style, yeah. Harlem Shake. We go a little bit psycho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, sorry, mom. Yep. Uh, I had never heard of this movie. Wow. Ever. Oh. And so, wow. uh, call yourself what, a movie guy. I never once called myself a movie guy. But when Rocco said we're watching the conversation, I was like, I don't, I couldn't even begin to guess what this was. Well, I said it, uh, underrated Francis Ford Coppola movie, and you probably immediately thought The Godfather, you Part know, four. Uh, uh, any of them, they're all underrated. So you probably assumed it was going to be this long, epic thing. No, actually, it's an underrated, un, uh, underappreciated movie. Um, at least you don't hear about it as much as Coppola's other stuff. But um, what's his other stuff besides The Godfather? What else has he done? Jack. He did The Jack. Godfather Part Two. Okay, that I know. He did Apocalypse Now. Oh, he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. That. Oh, that was his whole. Yeah, uh, his and he did thing. this movie. Oh. He only has four famous movies. Okay. Uh, and that's good. Most directors only get one or two. Yeah. He has four. He did Dementia Thirteen, his first movie, mm. which. We should watch. It's really bad. Oh, you'd be amazed how bad it is. Uh, And then, as Rocco mentioned, he did Jack, the movie with Robin Williams, where he's a kid who grows up uh, physically but not mentally. Um, Not to remember that movie. Well, here's the thing: I just saw that it's on Disney Plus, and I thought, is this a kids movie? And that's what Uh, I thought because I saw that movie when I was a kid, but I don't remember it being deeply depressing movie. Does he get like a boner or something? I don't know. Oh yeah, he gets. I I mean, he has to have sex, but he's only a child. It's crazy. Wow, it's crazy. Sounds like Disney Plus material. (laughs) It's a horror film. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, we're not reviewing Jack today. No, maybe we should be, uh, but we're not. We're doing the conversation. Yeah, this movie kind of fascinates me. I picked it uh, not not only because again it gets kind of lost in those lists sometimes, but. Also, too, this was really one of the only times Francis Ford Coppola himself has said, like, that's kind of the only original movie I've really done because he did a lot of adapted works. You know, obviously, Godfather was written by Mario Puzo, things like that. But 
This was a totally original thing that he wrote. He wrote it, directed it, and he really didn't do that again until, uh, honestly, like maybe 10 years ago, he did a movie called Tetro, where he totally wrote and directed it, which uh, I'll talk about that a little later. He's mm. done a lot of movies in recent years where he basically is like, yo, I'll pay for it just out of my own pocket. I don't give a shit if anyone sees it. Hmm. He's kind of baller. But anyway, uh, but yeah, he it, it was uh, decades and decades before he ever did that again. This is one of his few written original uh, movies that he directed. So um, anyway, yeah, so I always thought it was kind of interesting in that way. Yeah, that is interesting. Nice. I had seen this movie before. I always thought this was like one of his earlier films, but um, this yeah. movie actually came out the, after The Godfather and was released the same year yeah. as Godfather Part Two. And was nominated for Best Picture. Wow. As oh, was Godfather that. Part Two, which means in 1974, Francis Ford Coppola was going up against himself wow. in competition for Best Picture. Who won? He won, baby. Oh. That's right. <laughs> but did they pick the right film? That's, that's what the we're question. Gonna, that's what we're going to answer today. Is Godfather Two actually better than the conversation? <laughs> we're going to get to the bottom of it. I I did uh, in in talking about all that. I I brought all this up and someone was telling me they were like damn i can't think of any other director that dropped two bangers in one year like that or yeah two, but you, you know, know what it's gonna be me someday sure and in fact now that i know francis has done it i guess i'm gonna have to get nominated three times in one year <laughs> well i better start making movies yeah well all i was all i was gonna say was uh i'm constantly reminded of 93 because spielberg dropped oh. jurassic and schindler in the same year so damn don't get it twisted yeah, That's all did, I want to say. But he wasn't nominated for Best Picture twice. Mm, That's the thing. Yeah, but it was the right in vote. Jurassic had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie about dinosaurs, the movie about Nazis. They're basically the same movie when you think about it. Good guys versus bad guys. Lots of people dying. Lots of people running away. A strange, mysterious island. Yeah. We're not going to get into that. We're going to talk about the conversation. Yeah. But, so y you picked this movie. Yes. Had you seen it before? I did a long time ago. A long time ago, I got like a DVD set. You know, every now and then for Christmas, someone will get you like one of those DVDs that, yeah. that's like seven great films by yeah. Francis Ford Coppola. You know, that's what it was. I got that. And it had this nice. movie. It had that movie I mentioned earlier, Tetro from 2009. Oh, okay. It had a bunch of stuff that was just kind of like, yo, it ain't the Godfather. It ain't Apocalypse Now. Here's a bunch of other shit he did. And, uh, Sometimes, sometimes I kind of like the, getting things like that, you know, because it makes you you kind of pop in stuff that you wouldn't have normally bought or rented necessarily. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, so that's where I watch it. I was like, all right, conversation. What is this all about? So I popped it in. And uh, but this again, this may, this might have been like 10 years ago. It was a long time ago. We'll have to review Apocalypse Now someday. I would love to know what you guys think of that movie. I want to revisit it. Yeah, I, I, I said this before on this podcast, but when I got my wisdom teeth pulled, my father in law gave me Apocalypse Now. All of what that the movie other doesn't make sense when you're not post Apocalypse <laughs> Now. Uh, Rita, Rita, God damn, where are all the uh, the Vietnam movies? Uh, uh, Platoon. Pl Platoon, yeah, that Metal Jacket. Yes, those three. I watched those three on the same day, oh, or essentially, or maybe the same two days while I was recovering from a wisdom teeth. So I can't. I don't know which one is which wow. at this point. <laughs> it's it's a blur. I love all war. three of those movies, but Apocalypse Now is definitely, in my opinion, the weirdest, the most yeah. psychedelic, the most drug fueled yeah. uh and it's even like yeah like i said even in a sober state 
not post surgery, it's hard to know and follow along what's yeah, going on. Yeah, I'm movie. fucking yeah, lost. I think it, that's kind of the point, though. That's been it's been a million years since watching it for me, but I remember leaving it going really, really wow. Respect for the filmmaking of that, but man, I don't think that was my kind of thing. But that was a long time ago, and my tastes have changed a little bit. So I would be definitely down to revisit it for this show. All right. Well, we've recapped the career of Francis Ford Coppola. Now we're going to get into his film that was nominated for Best Picture in 1974, The Conversation. By the way, Francis Ford Coppola has gone on record to say this is his personal favorite movie that he's ever made. Oh, Hmm. wow. If that's worth anything to you wow didn't, then maybe you should check out the conversation didn't gene hackman kind of say the same thing too like he was like yeah of all the movies i've acted in like I, that's the one i kind of like the most i think i did read some, somewhere gene some, hackman says this is yeah. his favorite movie that he's made as well that's so, pretty amazing i it is but then you think well yeah there's no other famous people associated with this movie so who else is going <laughs> to say that the mm. the taxi driver who who plays his friend actually i know that's a famous guy that isn't that fredo the same guy who yeah, plays John Fredo? Cazal, John Cazal. Yeah, who's, uh, who's Stan. Fredo's in this, in this movie. But you know what? Fredo didn't say this was his favorite movie. He probably went with the movie where he plays Fredo. But I, don't but don't forget. Oh, what's that? I feel like I'm going to have a lot of questions for you in this okay. movie. I, oh, out the gate. Let's go into it. Why did you hate it? Go. I didn't hate it, but I also, I did not love it. I was, I thought I would when Rocco gave me a rough, like, it's about this. I, yeah. Like, okay. I thought actually you would, you I would was really like it. fucking bored and I don't know why I was bored and I'm trying to figure it out. So maybe if I'll get some questions and I mean, I, I think there's parts of it that I definitely liked. I'm not saying I, I liked it, but I also was just like, oh my God, like just do something. So. Okay. It's definitely a seventies movie. Uh, if you haven't seen the conversation, go watch it if you care, because we are going to spoil the heck out of it. Every piece of this movie, we're going to pull apart and dissect it. It's totally going to be ruined. I also for you. think, maybe, no pun intended, but having a conversation about this movie will maybe help me understand it more and enjoy it more. Maybe yes. that is possible. So, by we'll the way, out. this movie does have spoilers, and we will be going into it. Uh, big spoilers. So, if you want to see this movie fresh, make yeah. sure you've done that before you watch this episode. Yeah, we'll answer all your questions. Definitely. You. We'll talk about it. Cool. Also, uh, I do feel bad we when we talked about other famous people in this movie, we did breeze by Harrison Ford. I did not know Harrison he was in Ford. this movie. I yeah, was shocked. That was a surprise to yeah, me, too. Yeah, well, he wasn't even famous when this movie was made. Yeah, so. Uh, oh, and Robert Duvall's in this movie, too. Oh, I always forget about that. Even this last time watching it, I got to the end, I was like, oh, yeah, shit. Yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah. So, um... Let's talk about the conversation. And before we get into the conversation, I want to give everybody a little lesson in filmmaking. This is not to sound pretentious, but there's uh, something going on in this movie that I think you see better demonstrated in this film than you do in a lot of other movies. And it's something that I remember learning about in college, taking film classes. And it's something called mise-en-scene. Wow, or mise-en-scene. Huh. It's a French term. And it's a term that's kind of hard to define. And it basically stands for everything you see on screen. Which when you're thinking of watching a movie is like, okay, that's the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it's more than it's it's all of the things that people put thought into, all of the intentional things that were placed on screen. Because a lot of times when you film a movie, you just turn the camera on and whatever's in front of the camera, that's what you get. And right. sometimes, a lot of times, 
you're not really that picky about what is in front of the camera other than like, okay, these are the actors. These are the scenes. This is what I want to get in this movie. It was very clear that they were extremely picky Mm -hmm. with what they decided to show on camera. Yeah. When it comes down to the costumes, when it comes down to the props and the sets, especially and everything in this movie reinforces a theme and a lot of it is subconscious and it's a very good example of mise-en-scene these intentional choices that a lot of viewers may not notice the first time that they watch it but they are subliminally reinforcing things about the movie Hmm. i think that this one of the things i praised about this movie and i think one of the reasons it was nominated for best picture is it's it because is because it is such a good example of that concept of it filmmaking. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, usually when a movie, I mean, the movie starts and it is, you're in the conversation, which you don't realize at first what is happening, yeah. you know, but the movie begins with the whole point of the, there's no yeah. filler at all. Yeah, Yeah. so this movie is about um, a surveillance expert played by Gene Hackman. His name is Mr. Call, which again, even his name is like, telephone call Mm -hmm. it's an audio reference and like sean said the movie starts with this surveillance expert recording a conversation in public what's awesome about the opening scene of this movie is it opens on a huge public square yeah yeah and there's probably you know hundreds of extras walking around this public square milling about and the camera is slowly pushing in on this public square of people they're like on a lunch break and you can clearly hear the conversation of just two people, but you can't see who those two people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's not immediately clear who is talking. And out the gate, it, it gives you this feeling of what this movie is about of, oh, we're going to be listening on con- in on conversations, but we're not really going to know the context of these conversations. We're not going to know who's talking or where they are or where we're getting this information from. And then as it continues to push in, it focuses in on one person in the crowd and it's a mime, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which again, I thought was brilliant because this is a movie about audio and the first character you're showing me is a silent character. You literally found the one person in this crowd who doesn't speak. You focused on the one person in this crowd who is absolutely not the source of this conversation that we're listening to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I feel like there were a lot of little things like that that kind of play with the idea of audio and uh, surveillance and privacy, I feel like, are the big themes of this movie that are constantly being reinforced in various ways. It's constantly dunking you into that world completely. And I think this opening does a great job. And anytime they go to this plaza with with them talking does such a great job. I haven't seen a lot of older movies nail that like alone in public kind of mm-hmm. feeling. You know what I mean? Where they actually execute it well, where they're totally not alone, but you feel like you are with them in this place, you know? Anyway, I always thought that these scenes were really cool. Yeah. Um, Gene Hackman is like being followed by the mime and then he breaks away and we start kind of following Gene Hackman 
and we notice that he's kind of looking around. There's a guy on a roof, almost with like a sniper yeah. rifle, but yeah. it's, it's audio gun. Microphone. Yeah, it's like a microphone gun. He like could look at people through the scope, and whoever he points yeah. it at, he could pick up on their audio. You you have one of those in uh, Metal Gear Solid Three. Yeah, yeah, it's no. very handy tool. That's where they got the idea from. I'm sure. Huge Snake Eater fans on yes. the set, I'm sure. And Gene Hackman goes to a van nearby where the audio technicians are set up. Very like 70s CIA style. Mm-hmm. There, are, There's also another member on this team, this surveillance team, a guy who's walking around with a microphone in his bag. And he actually kind of gets caught early on. And we see who they're tailing is this young couple. Maybe in their 20s or early 30s, a guy and a girl, and they're just walking around having a conversation. And this surveillance team is following them. And that's kind of the setup to the movie. Like, And that, that really goes on to be what this movie is all about, this right. big mystery. Why was this surveillance team hired to monitor this couple? What is this couple talking about that is so important? Yeah. And that is when I, when I said earlier there was like no filler I meant by that, like you usually a movie would start with like, oh, you see him working in a job and now he's going to you. Oh, now you see the person hiring for the real job for the movie is going to be about. Like, yeah. This is like just kind of set up. But there is none of that where it's like he's already doing the main job. Yeah, cut yeah. to the, the second this movie starts. Yeah. And I will say Francis Ford Coppola is a great filmmaker, a great writer. This movie is an awesome. This movie is a classic. It's formatted in a way that I don't think they would format a modern movie. Mm-hmm. I do think what you described is more of like a modern story writing technique sure uh see him in action first before you yeah, get to you see the what he's capable event. of and then i was yes yeah. and i do Definitely. i do kind of agree with you even though you didn't quite say this that i feel in the middle of this movie it loses steam a mm-hmm. little bit it kind of gets a little boring and i i think that maybe they do those the modern storytelling techniques to avoid this middle section that is so kind of mm. slow mm. yeah and that's i think the problem we'll get to the middle uh, act two but I really felt like the act one and act three were great. And I was interested the whole time, and yeah. like surprised and everything. But act two, I was like, oh my God, we're at a convention. Like, well, Yeah, okay. second acts are famously tough. It's where movies yeah. like yeah. die. They get slowed down. This movie, I think, is good and, and kind of keeps the tension. But halfway through this movie, you start wondering, like, what, what, what's the point of all of this? Yeah. And you and then they make a point out of it at the end, and they're like, "Oh, okay." But then it's like, "I wish I knew that 40 minutes ago when I was kind of bored and confused." <laughs> but yeah. I will say, on on just on my end, I mean, everything you guys are saying is valid. But uh, I never really had the, I never really was bored during the middle part because I really actually kind of, I think Gene Hackman did such a good job playing this character. I enjoyed kind of existing in that world like this is clearly a world i've never been a part of when when he goes to the convention and stuff yeah seeing all that i kind of liked existing in a place that i've never quite thought like oh yeah there's probably people selling this stuff right now um and following go through that world with someone with these neuroses we'll go into it more but um i was i i thought was really interesting but i totally hear what you're saying too i totally uh yeah i think maybe that is why they would frame a movie a little differently to avoid uh yeah, anybody kind of losing interest at that point. Yeah. So Gene Ackman and his team are recording this young couple, and they're stationed all over. They got the guy with the gun. They got the guy with the microphone in the bag. They got a guy, another guy with a microphone, kind of tailing around them. And then the couple, they say their thing, and they go off on their way. And Gene Hackman t- collects all the tapes and goes back to his office, and he has all this equipment where he can 
listen to the conversation. And when they go past a guy playing bongos on the street or, and they kind of lose the audio, mm-hmm. it gets muddled. Mm-hmm. He can go to, Oh, now I'll get the audio from the guy with the microphone gun. Mm-hmm. And he can go into what that guy recorded and fill in that part of the conversation. Oh, but then they walk around a wall and the guy with the gun couldn't see them anymore. Okay. I'll go to the third guy who was mm-hmm. standing next to him with the uh, shopping bag, shopping bag, you know, the microphone, the shopping bag. Mm-hmm. And that is the way he collects his recordings he gets multiple recordings and then he constructs the full conversation into one clean recording um and the whole time he's working on this his partner keeps asking him like what do you think these guys are talking about and he is very much like i don't care what they're talking about that's not my job to know all i he says all i need is a fat recording Mm -hmm. uh and so he is working on this recording, and we, we find out a couple other things about this guy in the first act. He plays the saxophone in his house. He loves the uh, tenor sax. He's, uh, he goes to Catholic church and confesses. Oh, and he's obsessed with his own privacy and security. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He has three locks on his doors, and his apartment is very sparse. He doesn't even have a telephone in his apartment, so he says. Um, but what's interesting... I didn't realize this immediately, but as the movie went on, it became clear to me. I don't know if this is a joke or not. He's obsessed with his privacy, but he's really bad at maintaining it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like he has three locks on his door. His door seems impenetrable. And the moment he opens it, there's There's a gift gift behind the door. Like Mm -hmm. his landlord was already in there. Mm -hmm. The first time I saw this movie, I didn't pick up on that. But as (laughs) you know, with subsequent viewings, I felt like there's a, there's a motif here that he's obsessed with his privacy, but he's not good at maintaining it. Mm. Um, Again, he has windows in his house and it's very clear. The windows are always, the blinds are always open. Mm-hmm. The blinds are always drawn like they're closed, but they're turned so that they're open, you right. know? So it's like you have windows, you're, you're obsessed with your privacy, but people can look into your house at any moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I even read later that Gene Hackman's jacket is, was purposely made see-through. Yeah. That was a weird <laughs> see-through trench coat. Yeah. That was bizarre. Yeah. It's part of the mise-en-scene. Yeah. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola wanted like the see-through jacket to represent like the jacket is a, a source of protection. Like you feel like it's a security blanket yeah. when you put it on. He always but, has it. But people can see through it. So it doesn't actually do anything. Uh, block the, you know, it doesn't actually hide you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of it is like close yet far. Yeah. Kinda. By the yeah. way, <laughs> after watching this movie like 10 years ago, I was inspired to go get a see-through jacket like that. So nice. I think there might be one Mega 64 video out there where I'm wearing like a yellow see-through jacket. That was right after I watched the conversation. <laughs> I had to get my own see-through jacket. Yeah. Um, Gene Hackman has a girlfriend, but he like doesn't tell her anything about himself. She doesn't know his age. She doesn't, she's never been to his apartment. She she doesn't, I don't even know if she knows his real it, real name. Yeah. And this is where I was kind of like starting to be like, well, I don't like Gene Hackman. You know, like I, he's just so secretive and so kind of just in his own head and like he's like so like this girl and it's like what's happening with this girl and he's like not she breaks up with him and like it's like what i think who is who is dating this guy he's like why is he getting a girl at, at all like how could he he has no personality how does that happen uh what i like about this character i i think personally again the way it's like portrayed in this movie i almost feel he, i mean fucking idiot for doing all this stuff totally but the, he portrays it with a certain kind of like almost like a tenderness 
Like, like he really is. There's genuine, like he's really good at what he does, but there's like, I don't know. He's kind of like, uh, it, it just has all uh, it, the more he works in this industry, it almost like compounds more of the fear. And the, I don't know. He almost kind of has a childlike mind about it, about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though he's really good at what he does. I think the way they portray it, like through his conversations with her and all that stuff, I don't know. I kind of feel bad for the guy. Like, like he's clearly blowing it in a lot of situations, but, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of why I liked about it. I, they, they could have made him more of a giant asshole and they didn't, you know, they, I, I, I kind of liked the tenderness on display hmm. a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I just read it as he's an extremely, he's obsessed with his privacy to the point where yeah. he's paranoid about yeah. his privacy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of ruined. It's ruined his life. Yeah. He won't even tell the girl that he's with, uh, his, they're celebrating his birthday, but he won't tell her his true age. Yeah. And she makes it clear that she's never been to his apartment. And she says like, I need more from this relationship and I'm not going to be with you. If you're not going to give me anything. Mm-hmm. And they actually break up in that first scene. You meet the girlfriend right. and, and they break up. So yeah, I mean, she's right there with you. Like who could be in a relationship with yeah. this guy? Yeah. I feel like you read the same thing. The character read. Sure. Um, Gene Hackman goes to confession and he confesses, uh, to the priest that, you know, I think his main concern in life is in the past he was doing a job and he recorded a conversation uh, and he turned it into the client and it resulted in some people getting killed. Mm-hmm. Whatever was on that tape resulted in, in some people getting murdered over it. And he carries a lot of guilt about yeah. that. And he, he operates in a world where he is collecting information that people could be killed over. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what I mean. I feel like I see those scars kind of through the movie. Sure. You know what I mean? Like he, maybe he's protecting her. Yeah. He loves no. her so much. He doesn't want her to get involved see in, that. in who he is. You but know? you don't find out about the, the, the dead family until like way later in the movie. So yeah. like the whole time you're just wondering like, why? Okay. Like just, you know, just. But you know what? To be fair, I mm. think that's the point. Yes. I think you're supposed to be wondering, like, why is he acting this way? Sure. And then they slowly reveal it, and you either have a, oh, or you have a, map. I don't give a shit. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, that, that I feel like that just comes down to yeah. If, yeah. You li- if you like the movie or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so not only did he get somebody killed in the past, but we also find out that he is pretty much the number one wiretapper in the whole country. He's... Mm like world famous for what he does. Mm -hmm. And there's a convention coming up of, uh, wiretappers. Like it's like surveillance con, you know, it's like comic con for spies. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a little more cool than comic con. Yes. Better audio smells better in there. Yeah. Uh, better audio. Absolutely. And he is what he's tapped to be one of the main speakers of the convention and he's highly well regarded. He's so famous in the field. I just want to say regarding this convention, I really like this part of the movie. Not 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 only because of what I said earlier, where it's kind of exploring a world I don't you don't normally get to see, maybe, but just seeing conventions in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was gonna say. I am old enough now to remember going to conventions and Comic Con even when when I was very little. I mean, late eighties, and they still kind of had this look to them. Like everything was kind of like wood paneled and dark. You know what I mean? Like the way this convention looks in this, it feels like 
you know, it was kind of like I went to a couple out of date events with my dad when I was a really little kid. And I remember them looking like that. Yeah, so. this is like a true convention. <laughs> this yeah. is yeah. like a industry only. Yeah, yeah. Every convention I've gone to, they shouldn't even be called conventions, I realize, because <laughs> they are like fan events. Right, exactly. And this is uh, this is if you're in the surveillance industry, come yeah. here to see what is new and what is going on in your own field. Yeah. Which I feel like is not, that's how Comic-Con started, but it's <laughs> yeah. not like that The anymore. only thing I can think of is when we went to GDC, that was it, like... E3's industry only too. It yeah. was Until a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But like GDC Every is Every time like, I went there, I wasn't in the <laughs> yeah. industry. You tell someone, oh yeah, you can get to go to GDC, Game yeah. Developers Conference. Like, oh fuck, cool. And you get there, it's like, this is all boring stuff yeah. but this doesn't mean anything yeah, to me because i don't point. make video games yeah, it's, exactly. it's, it's not for it's not made to entertain the fans yeah. right it's there for like people in the industry yeah. right so harry i believe his name is harry call yeah. uh, gene hackman goes to this convention um i feel like i'm forgetting something that i yeah. that is important to mention the, the, to me oh yes duh go ahead is it his friend and him working together and then i guess his friend quits well or there's something? that but it's this job before yeah. he goes to the convention. So we've set up that this information is very important and people could potentially get killed over this. And then Harry is very professional. He's like the number one professional in his business. And he has to turn in these recordings, but they tell him like, Oh, the director has left the country. And he says, well, I had specific directions to give this to the director only like put this in his hands. Mm -hmm. And the voice on the other side of the phone is, nah, it's fine. Just come to the office and, We'll pay you. And he goes to the office mm. and Harrison Ford is there. Yeah, yeah. But it's not the director. And it starts to raise these questions of like, are you stealing this from the director? Does, right. the, does the director know that I'm giving you the tapes and mm -hmm. not him? And, and Gene Hackman questions that. We as the audience question that. And he makes the decision like, you know what? Keep your money. I'm going to hold on to the tapes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Harrison Ford immediately gets scary. And not scary like I'm going to kick your ass. Like scary and the rich person, you will find yourself dead because of this. Right. Kind of scary. He <laughs> yeah. just kind of follows yeah. Gene Hackman to the to the lobby and he's like holding the money. But he's not saying anything. He's just yeah. across the room holding the money up like, come on, give me the, give me the tapes. Give me the tapes. And Gene yeah. Hackman keeps getting into the elevator. Mm -hmm. And then when he's in the elevator, he sees the woman. Who, yeah, who, who, who he he's recording. Yeah. Who he was recording. And he starts thinking like, you're, you, you're in the same building that you're... Okay, something's going on. And and Harrison Ford said, like, you need to give me those tapes because if you listen to them, you know what's on them is very dangerous. And Gene Hackman's worst fear is having somebody murdered over something he recorded. Mm. So the paranoia starts to build. Yeah. And that's very important because that is the snowball that grows over the course of this whole movie. Mm. So he goes to this convention and some people like it. Some people don't. <laughs> it's it's polarizing. Uh, he meets his number one rival at this convention. His coworker, who is played by the guy who played Fredo, is now working for this rival and because they this, got into a fight a scene ago. This, yeah, that was my question where it's like, it was such a jump of, yeah, we don't work together anymore, to, oh, yeah, my new employee here. And his friend walked out like, that was like five minutes ago. Whoa. Like, you know, it was just <laughs> such a... Yeah. Like that, and that it was weird. It was just weird to me. Yeah, I think he probably called the guy up, just like, "All right, you, maybe I, I'm a free agent. I happen to be in town because of a this convention, anyway." I mean, that, all the industry, everyone in that industry was in the same spot. Yeah, it just was very weird to yeah. me. Well, the the two of them got to a fight. They were long term partners. 
the guy goes on to say, Harry, I've been your partner for so long. You've never shared anything with me. You make mm -hmm. all this equipment yourself. I don't have anything invested in this business. So I went with your number one competitor because, uh, you know, there's room for growth there. Yeah. But I also think on a more like just bigger level, thematic level, Harry is losing everyone in his life. He's lost his girlfriend. Now he's lost his best friend slash his business partner. His paranoia is causing him to become increasingly more isolated. I honestly feel too like Gene Hackman doesn't have that many lines in this movie. He's yeah. just kind of like walking around. Honestly, like he needs to have several conversations. Like he just like is never talks and you kind of don't know what he's thinking ever. And it's a little frustrating. I'm with the like these people. We're like, yeah, just. He's me, private. I know, that's, but it's that's like, part let, of his character. Private. But yeah. let me know who you are so I can root for he you. Because right that. now I don't root for you. This well, character doesn't let people know who and, he is. And I think that's part Sorry, of. But that's what no, I think. And I think that's part of, again, why I think this is a great performance is, is he knows that his words and his audio is like just that. Right. Is is useful to someone else or is potentially dangerous against him or. People yeah. he loves. So even that, he's protected. That's what I mean. I, I feel like every level of his performance is actually really, really sells that. Sure. Um, but uh, I, but I did want to say, though, with John Cazale, the Fredo guy. Yeah, his partner. Uh, underrated actor. That's all I wanted to say. Underrated actor. And it's so funny because a lot of these guys who worked with him, like in this, and even like Al Pacino has talked about when people ask him, like, oh, who's the greatest actor you ever worked with? You know, people always think you're going to say De Niro or, you know, whatever. And so many of them say like, hey, John Cazale was so good. And he he died before he could even continue. You mm. know, he, he has a handful of really amazing movies under his belt. But, you know, he died young. So anyway, shout out John Cazale. Shout out Fredo. You were Shut, smart. Shouts out. Anyway. I know it was you. You were <laughs> such a good actor. Um, while they're at this convention, classic, you, you can relate to this. They throw a post convention party. They're like, Hey, yeah. we're all hanging out at the convention. At let's, the, let's get yeah. drinks afterwards. Yeah. 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 Get everyone, go, bring everyone down to the studio. Let's hang out. And okay. Hi again. Another problem I had this guy who is so private and whatever, when he brought everyone to his studio, I'm like, that doesn't add up to what I've seen before. Like this guy's not saying words to people. And now he's going to bring everyone to like his place where he like records this shit and like, like that doesn't make sense to me at all uh especially this fuckhead who whoever the actor is did a good job because i really yeah. hated his rival i truly hated him yeah yeah well yes so gene hackman invites his rival his ex-partner like maybe two other guys from the convention and a couple of ladies as well to come hang out at his studio warehouse. Yeah. Uh, and they're all pretty unlikable. In fact, they they all seem like none of them take this job as seriously as Gene Hackman does. Yeah. And you could see why he doesn't really get along with them. Because to him, this is life and death. And, and these guys are like having parties trying to entertain girls. Yeah. It just seemed very... Un it is weird to me that he would have people over at his place at all, you know? Well, I think it was more like his friend wanted to wanted them to all be friends. Uh, you know, yeah. his, his partner, the guy who played Fredo, John, whatever, yeah, wanted to bring everybody in together to be friends, and and kind of the hub meeting place would be their work spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I, I kind of took it as like that's still maybe the most neutral location, despite you know what I mean. Despite whatever, yeah. I think he takes a chance. At, yeah. It may not pay off. 
Um, but that's kind of like his best option because he ain't bringing him home. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, but to me, this was the same. I mean, I guess. Yeah. It was just, lesser it, of two evils kind of. I thing. guess. Yeah. I was just like, this doesn't add up to me. So uh, while he was at the convention, Harrison Ford showed up and kind of asked him for the tapes again and kind of intimidated him again. Uh, so he has the tapes with him when he takes them to this party. His rival gives him a pen, like, hey, free pen, sticks it into his shirt pocket. He starts talking to some girl there, flirt. She's really into him. She's really into him. But he's kind of thinking about his ex-girlfriend, and he's asking her questions like, you know, do you think if you were a girl and a guy came over to your house but never told you where he lived, uh, would you want to be with him? And she's like, no, not really. <laughs> um, Fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> Truth be told, this part of the movie... I think is also boring and not because I'm not picking up on the little things that are happening, but mm -hmm. I just feel like it's going on too long mm -hmm. and it's a little too quiet and it's a, it's a great movie, but that part to me is where I kind of start to fall asleep a little bit mm -hmm. at the end of that party. His rival shows him, Hey, that pen I put in your pocket, it was actually recording you. It was a microphone. I guess that was a new thing in 1974. <laughs> I saw that pen in his pocket. I was like, that is clearly a microphone. You're going <laughs> to fucking spy con here. He mic'd you, bro. You're not going to accept a pen from your competitor. <laughs> Gene Hackman's furious. He breaks the pen, even though it costs $1,500, which is like a million dollars in today's money. Seriously. that yeah. Right? That'd be like at least like 10K today, yeah. at least. Yeah. But again, he's obsessed with his privacy, but he didn't pick up that he was being bugged. So he's not yeah. he's not good at protecting it, which yeah. I think is a is a major theme of this movie yeah, and set, set that up earlier as you pointed out That's interesting. yes uh he goes to sleep that night wakes up the next day and the girl who is like making moves on him is gone and she has stolen the tapes as well mm. da, 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 da. you didn't see that coming bro i saw it coming yeah because again he's not saying any words to her and it's just he's just weird and she's so intimate this is shady no way He's, I'm he's, not buying he's this. He's bad at protecting his pri He's bad at protecting himself. Also, no offense, Gene Hackman, but you're no Harrison Ford. You know, like he's a goofy looking dude. Yeah. It, like, well, it was the 70s. I don't know what was attractive in the 70s. Yeah. Was it ever Gene Hackman? I don't know. It could have been. Remember it, when we watched Night of the Hunter and we found out that guy was supposed to be a heartthrob? Mm -hmm. and Robert, yeah. Was it Robert Mitchum? He's kind of a handsome dude, though, to be fair. Yeah, I by think. 50s but, standards. But yeah. today he's a chubby schlub. Huh. Yeah. Um, I always crack up at movies like this, though, when then they talk about Gene Hackman or, you know, I, I not that this actually happens in this movie, but then he'll be like, yeah, I'm 30, you know. 31. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah well, or even whatever. Now, he's like, oh, like, he, was he 42, 44? I forget which one he was. Uh, yeah. I don't one know. Of those. But, but it's like, that's not too far off of me. And I don't want to look anything like that. Well, in my <laughs> so I read that Gene Hackman was actually really fit and handsome. When they made this movie? Yeah, I heard uh, this too, they, yeah. Uh, they made him gain weight. They gave him purposely out-of-style clothes. Oh. Like they tried to make him look frumpier than normal. Yeah. I see. So it was all intentional. Okay. That on say, I'm telling you. Yeah. It was intentional. They thought about it. Um, When the tapes are stolen, he goes to confront Harrison Ford, and the client that he was working for is actually there, played by Robert Duvall, playing a character named The Director. And they're not even mad. They're like, look, we just wanted the tapes. We hired you to make these tapes, and we just couldn't. They tell him, like, you were acting weird. We were wondering if you were ever going to give us the tapes. So sorry, we got that girl to steal them from you. Because he did say he was going to destroy him. Yeah. so I think they were right. And he's like, but here's your money. Job well done. And while he's meeting Robert Duvall, um, Robert Duvall's listening to the tapes. 
and there's pictures of the girl with Robert Duvall all over this office. We don't know if this girl is his wife or if it's his daughter. I feel like it's purposely left unclear. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people assume it's his wife. Mm -hmm. But the first time I watched it, I got the impression it was his daughter. I don't know how you guys feel. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, but it's, it's tricky because like Robert Duvall is very much older than this girl, but also he's clearly very rich. So in, maybe he just, you know, it could go either way. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. They purposely leave it ambiguous. Yeah. Um, but Robert Duvall is also, you know, um, there's like Doberman pinchers in this office. There's a weight set in this office. It's very like, there's little things sprinkled all over this room to intimidate, um, Gene Hackman to, to display the power of Robert Duvall. Mm -hmm. And basically what they found on that tape was that the couple thinks that they are going to get killed. They said there's one moment that he really has to work hard to get the audio to, to get clear. And it says he'd kill us if he had the chance. Mm -hmm. And so Gene Hackman is now putting all the pieces together. Like, Oh, Robert Duvall has a relationship to this woman. He doesn't approve of what she's doing with this guy he's probably planning on killing them. And that bothers Gene Hackman. That's literally his worst fear. That's his it's fear. The, it's the one thing he doesn't want to happen when he does these jobs is to have somebody killed over it. When he was hanging out at the convention with his friends, they kind of go over that whole story that he had this amazing job that he pulled. Nobody was able to figure out how he was able to tap the, the boat, boat. Yeah. of this mm. mafia boss, but he was able to get this information and this whole scandal came out because of it. And the mafia boss could not figure out who tapped the boat and assumed it was the other guy talking to the police and had that guy and his whole family murdered. Mm. And that is what Gene Hackman holds in his heart as the, yeah. you know, what makes him feel so guilty. He was responsible for a whole family getting murdered. So now he thinks it's going to happen again, and he remembers that the tape, they kept talking about this meeting that was going to happen in room 733? 773. 773. Almost had it. Close. Of a nearby hotel on Sunday afternoon. So he decides to go check into that room that Sunday. Just, I don't know, why would he do that? Who knows? He just wants to be in the mix. Yeah. They tell him the room <laughs> is not available, so he gets the room right next door, and what does he do? He taps it. He drills a hole <laughs> in the wall and starts listening to the conversation next door. You know, I said some bad things about this movie, but I did like, I mean, all the spy stuff I really did like and thought it was cool. Once we're out of the convention, it picks up again. Uh, no, for me, once they, we get past the, um, that after party of the convention, then it picks up when he goes to confront Harrison Ford, Robert Duvall to me is like, I'm back in on it. Okay. I consider that party to be part of the convention. Okay. Since so sure, then I agree. So, uh, but yeah, so yeah, when even like him finding the best space where to put the bug and then like flushing the toilet while he drills. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. Like this is mm -hmm. fun. And also like, this is stuff they probably used back then. And that's interesting to me. Like, that was cool. That, I liked that part a lot. I liked him watching the Flintstones in the hotel room and how fucked up it looked on the TV. Very I really up. was trying to find that as like to use as my computer wallpaper after. I huh. that. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of this movie is just watching surveillance people do their job. And that's just entertaining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's like weirdly. It, maybe it's like we get to live vicariously through them and there's a there's a little bit of voyeurism to it which makes it yeah. like ooh this is bad well, but, but I want to see how they do it's this. It's also like I mean, that's why I liked the when we did Rear Window so much. It's like I like the idea of just like it's interesting just yeah. getting little snippets of someone's life not knowing the whole story. That's cool. 
I just wish I had more of that. But also, you're scared that the person doing it might get caught. And yeah. You know, ooh, they got they got to be real secretive. Yeah. So every time he flushes the toilet to drill, you're like, oh, how many times can he get away with flushing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Uh, He's got to start throwing in some like, oh, it's a big one. Oh, <laughs> you know, too much Chipotle. <laughs> oh, PF Changs, no. You know, and then you know, you got to spice it up. I trust me, I've I've bugged a lot of bathrooms, and I, I I've learned from experience. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a joke, but I lost it. <laughs> so he bugs the room next door, and this is the room that was talked about in the conversation. And he's listening, and there are two people in that room, and they're talking, and they're arguing. And he thinks that maybe a murder is going to happen. And he goes out to the balcony, and in the weirdest horror movie jump cut. Dude, yeah. This, this was, like, bad. I felt like that this jump cut sequence, I was like, this is the seventies slasher movie shit. That should not be in an Oscar worthy film. Huh. Yeah. I was definitely surprised. Bloody hands. Like there, there's like a glass partition between the balconies and these bloody hands hit the partitions and he gets so scared. He basically has a panic attack and, yeah. uh, flees or passes out. I'm, I don't, I don't really remember. Yeah, he passes out and kind of does it in a way where it's like the movie gets very surreal at this moment. Was yeah. he? He might even be hallucinating. Yeah, was all of he this. dreaming? Yeah, the that's whole what time? I was wondering. Yeah, do you fall asleep watching The Simpsons and this is what he, you know, just a dream is going to happen? Or yeah. I don't know. It ramps up the paranoia. It ramps up the idea that Gene Hackman might be losing his mind over yeah, this. Definitely. I kind of liked this part. Uh, this the way it was edited because it really did give it the sense of like I don't know what I'm seeing. Like I, yeah. and it was so uncharacteristic of the whole movie to all of a sudden this bloody like, wow, yeah. it's like, what the fuck? This does not belong in this movie. Yeah. That it does. You think, oh, it's a dream. There's no way it's actually happened. You know, you, you, you're led to that conclusion. Yeah. I think. And when he does wake up, he ends up going next door to check the room and he kind of breaks into it, uh, and finds that it's completely empty. Like, like empty, empty, like nobody was even in there to begin with, <laughs> which again is like, is he going insane? Yeah. Yeah. He checks out the bathroom. Everything seems fine. That's where he bugged it. Um, okay. He opens up the toilet. The toilet has like a wrapper on it. Like the maid was just there. He flushes the toilet. Ungodly amounts of blood. <laughs> the, the toilet is clogged <laughs> with some bloody sheets or something oh, I don't know. and all the blood backs up out of the toilet starts spilling on the floor it's like the shining yes the blood coming out of the elevator this is, this is a sequel <laughs> toilet shining yeah toilet shining is kind of what a new concept so that's why it kind of <laughs> so much blood it. comes out of this toilet yeah so this, much blood this came out before the shining so really kubrick kind of did i think yeah off. definitely so much blood comes out of the toilet again it's like is this real? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or are you absolutely it, insane right it now? It feels very hallucinatory for sure. All of this has happened, and he decides to go back to his client to confront him about this and get to the bottom of it, but he finds that his client is dead. That the what? that Robert Duvall died in an accident Ooh. is what the newspapers are saying. But Ooh. not only that, while he's leaving the building, he sees the girl who he thought was the bloody hands, mm -hmm. but she's alive and well. She's sitting in a limousine and suddenly everything clicks for him. The recording, the conversation, the two people, they weren't talking about running away or else they get killed. They were talking about doing the murder. Mm -hmm. They were the ones who were plotting to kill 
Robert this woman, yeah, yeah, Robert Duvall. Yeah. Maybe it's her dad. Maybe it's her husband. We don't know. There's a line where he said he'd kill us if he had the chance, but then he re-listens to it, and it's, he'd kill us if he had the chance. Right. <laughs> which I had to go back because I, I was reading a bunch of stuff about this movie, and they're like, yeah, the line is different. And I was like, no, it, it's not. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, they recorded it. It's a different line. And I was like, <laughs> it's not, though. But I guess it's just the inflection. The inflection is different. Is different yeah, it's he'd, he'd kill, kill us if he had the chance, or he'd kill us. He'd kill us if he had the chance. Yeah. Um, the, yes. that, that's they trust me. That's huge. Doesn't yeah. sound big. It's big. <laughs> what were you gonna say? No, it's like the, these are the types of verbal stunts that are in the movie. There's no kung fu in this movie. It's done through inflection. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. done through conversation it was called the conversation yeah so at the end of the very end of the movie he has uncovered this plot and he goes home he plays his saxophone for a little bit but then he gets a phone call it's harrison ford and he tells him hey we know you know don't get involved any further we'll be listening and then they play back the recording of him playing his saxophone that he was playing a second earlier dude his house is bugged and this guy fucking hates that. That's not what this he wants guy, at all. This guy's a private guy. You literally did the one thing this guy doesn't want. Yeah. The ending of this movie is famous because in the final scene, he tries to find the bug in his house, literally, literally rips his house apart. Mm-hmm. Like, literally. Imagine <laughs> I had to find a bug on this set. Yeah. I, and I had and I went piecemeal through every single fucking thing on this set, broke yep. it open, threw it away. Oh, no bug in here, threw it away, and then there's nothing left on the set. So I start ripping the microphones apart, no bug in there. I start ripping the lights out. I start ripping the fucking grass off of this, taking the wood off of this, taking apart the computer, yeah. taking apart the mouse, taking apart the TV, like everything. It I, is crazy i did not know any i'd never heard of the ending of this movie or knew anything about it going in um i'm gonna plant my flag here this is one of my favorite movie endings of all time wow Uh, when that ended well okay he does all that and actually i want to back it up and just say you talked earlier Derek, about a lot of the great uh kind of foreshadowing they do when it comes to like you said the him unlocking a thousand locks and but there's a gift from the landlord inside, you know, things like that. Yeah. Another, another subtle thing they do in the movie. And there's never a conversation about it per se little things throughout the movie, you know, that are like, Oh, we're doing this. Jesus Christ. Hey, please don't be blasphemous. Right. You know, little things he said, that's like, Oh, he does have a personal faith or whatever. He goes to confession. He doesn't want people to take the Lord's name in vain. And, and it's so well done because then you, you even, even when he's ripping apart the house, he's breaking things. He's going up Virgin Mary. I'll leave that Mm. rip up the next thing, rip up the next thing. And then by the end of this manic episode of tearing up this thing, he goes back to that Virgin Mary and fucking breaks it, rips it apart. He's like smashed it with his hand, like, which I thought would be painful. It's just I just such well done shit here. We could, when when that's just subtly put in there throughout the movie, so that when he gets to that point, it is like you know it's gone this far. Like how mm-hmm. far is he willing to go? Oh man, he, he sacrifices like, everything. He, everything is on when the table. When he rips at this up point. the floor, that's when I was like. I mean, it was already crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's taking, I mean, it's, he takes, he makes it so it's, it's a shamble. Like it's, it's a yeah. shack. It's crazy. So, yeah. so I said how much I love this ending. It's all of what we just said. Plus all of that happens. And then 
get that saxophone back out. Yeah, at the final <laughs> the final scene of the movie, he, he rips everything apart. His apartment is destroyed. He cannot find the bug. Literally, like uh, the lights are hanging from the ceiling by a thread. He's <laughs> yeah. torn everything apart. He's defeated. Yeah. He just sits back down in the rubble and goes back to playing his saxophone. Mm. And that's how the movie ends. When he did that, when he's sitting among all that shit, and then... I literally thought, oh, put the credits over this. And they did. And they did. Oh, they did. That was my kind of ending, baby. Mm. Oh, loved, loved way, how it ended. Nobody knows, but the consensus is the bug is... Probably in the saxophone. <laughs> that wouldn't, but wouldn't Nobody that knows. thematically and everything we were shown in the movie, that would be the perfect foil. He never finds like the that, bug. Yeah. I don't know why he would not think it would be in the saxophone, but the, a lot of analyses have said the bug is probably located in the saxophone. Yeah. I mean, it, it matches ev- how, how he always misses the one obvious thing, you mm. know, like that throughout the whole movie, that would be perfect. So. Yeah. I'm sticking with that. The first time I watched the movie, I was confused. I was like, he didn't find the bug. So were they bugging him? Or I was like, but they yeah. were. They had a recording. And I had to read about it. I was like, it's probably in the sacks. We don't know, mm-hmm. but it's probably mm-hmm. in the sacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could have been his shoe. He didn't check that. He didn't check his own shoes, dumbass. He should have been. You suck. Hey, he should. Truth be told, he should have been playing the saxophone naked at the end. Yeah, they that that would have been the perfect ending. Yeah. You know, because then it's like, the, the oh, we it's in, it was in your dick hole. <laughs> you know the woman put it there oh, i don't know yeah. you, you like know. sounding remember yeah sounding oh that would have been they, i blew it yep coppola yep. you could have mentioned they had sounding invented sounding then you guys yeah well they in- but if they i mean maybe they did that's, that's where the name comes from. i've been from, doing yeah. it a long time and i th- it wasn't a new yeah i guess maybe, maybe <laughs> so new. that is the conversation with gene hackman and uh yeah once again we talked about it, but th- what I like about this movie is there's so much going on visually on screen yeah. for you to pick up on yeah. that is never spoken about or mentioned in the movie. But you go back and once you know it's there, you can kind of see how intentional it is, which I think adds a level of appreciation for me. Just yeah. to see like, wow, they really thought about all of this stuff. I do stuff. feel like yeah. if I were to watch it again, I would probably like it more. I do think that. It's definitely a double it- watcher. And and I will say too, Sean, to what you were saying about why the why the fuck are you not giving your name to the woman you're dating, or why is he bringing him here, or, or you know, yeah. with, with all his equipment, you know, all valid, all valid. But uh, I think what I appreciate this movie, I, I I think it's a really good story about that classic type of, uh, you know, you could be a genius about so many things and yet not get the most basic principles you know mm. what i mean and even even to a wider extent a bigger extent like the show breaking bad was kind of about that or um you know there's a few things in history that you know tell those kinds of stories and to me this was an especially tender one about how someone could be that good in their field and just not get the most basic human shit you know so yeah, th- yeah. Th- that spoke to me a little bit that you know it's a tra- it's definitely a tragic story mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's a tale of somebody who got in too deep. They got too obsessed and had tunnel vision and were too narrowly focused to kind of see the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, Gene Hackman, by not delivering those tapes, probably caused the murder to happen. Because he was working for the guy who ended up being the victim. Right. The guy hired Gene Hackman 
to find out if these people were serious about their murder plot against him. And then he got it twisted in his mind that mm-hmm. the person I'm working for is going to harm someone else. A major thing in this movie is how Gene Hackman got everything wrong mm-hmm. uh, all across the board. Mm-hmm. And almost as the viewer, you are there with him, believing in him. Like, oh, no, he's right. I'm paranoid, too. But yeah, at the end yeah. of the movie, you realize, son of a bitch, he was just fucking paranoid. Yeah. And I was right there with him. Like, the movie made me paranoid. You, you, yeah. Vi- vicariously through him. You were seeing everything through that lens. Yeah. Same lens as him, unfortunately. So yeah. I think it's a cautionary tale. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Um, all right. With that being said, we can get into some shakers. We're going to rank it out of five. Um, Rocco, you picked this movie. So what do you think? Um, sp- speaking to the cautionary tale part and all that stuff on top of all that, I just think this, the subject matter of this is kind of more relevant than ever when it comes to our privacy, our information, our, you know, you know, you have people walking around every day now going, yo, I, they're listening to me. I'm getting ads for ravioli. Like, I've never right. looked up ravioli. You know, and the fact that we're still dealing with that, with the things that we say being used against us and used as, you know, weaponized against us and things like that. So in that sense, I was surprised how modern the subject was, not knowing anything about it when I first saw it. Um, so for me, it's got that. Great directing. I love the writing. I totally hear what you guys are saying in that middle section. I think you're totally valid on that. I personally, I personally really like that section because it was such tender character stuff. I really, I actually really like just existing in that world for a time, but story structure wise, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I totally get that. Um, but I really enjoyed that. Uh, I'm going to sound nuts here, but for me, this movie was perfect. Um, so I'm giving it a five. This is a five shaker. Hmm. Nice. It spoke to me in a lot of different ways on the character side and then the subject matter. I just really didn't expect it to be as good as it was. I kind of thought I was going to see a sort of oh early thing that he did. Again, not knowing it came out the same year as Godfather 2. So I was really blown away by it. So it's a five for me. Cool. Um, I would give it a three out of five. And I just think it's a great film, but it's not a universal film. I don't think everybody who watches this movie is going to have the same takeaway. Some people will love it. Some people will like it a little bit less. I appreciate how much thought went into the making of this movie, especially, like I said, all the intentional things they put on screen. I think the yeah. writing was pretty taut. It's pretty good. Yeah, I think the middle part is a little slow. I think the convention, they kind of lose the momentum a little bit, but they mm-hmm. pick it back up. Mm-hmm. They yeah. do. And it, it, it definitely pays off strongly in the end. Uh, so I give it three out of five. Yeah. And for me, you know, I'm, yeah, we, we already covered the stuff I didn't like. It was also weird to me in the after party thing. Like at one point he like goes around a corner and then starts actually talking to people and being like sociable. And it was like, what, what, what changed all of a sudden? Like you were just like, uh, it, was, it was a lot of weird things to me. I didn't quite get, but I think maybe if I watched it again, I would probably change my shaker score. But for my first time viewing, I'm going to give it a two shaker. And you know, I, again, I think I, I think I'd probably be up at a three next time, but I don't I'm know genuinely surprised. Yeah. I, I thought you guys actually would give it higher scores. I'm, I'm actually, this one kind of surprises me. Hmm. Um, I've had fairly good luck 
sometimes I bring in favorites of mine where I go like, you know, sometimes there's some the stuff that connects to one of us and not the other, you know, or whatever. That happens all the time. It's fine. But I had pretty good luck. You know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I was like, shit, this is just a bunch of guys talking. I hope I'm not going to bore the shit out of them. Yeah. You know, we all gave it a pretty good that score. Was good, yeah. Uh, this one, I actually have to say, I'm a little bit surprised. The, uh, the reason I picked it too was honestly, they played it in LA. Like the last time I watched it, they, they did like a new 35 millimeter print of it or whatever. And I actually went to go see that. I had to, because how often are they going to play this in a theater? I know? can't imagine. Yeah, um, that but uh, I was just, I was really uh, affected by it the first time and even more so the second. So mm. anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, I was surprised. I mean, you gave it a fairly good score, but I was surprised, Sean, that it didn't. Um, yeah, I, I honestly felt bad. I, I wish I liked it more. I just, I was just really bored in the middle and I wish I wasn't. And to be real, it's an it's a dated movie. Sure. Like, uh, th- to me, the convention parts were interesting. I like looking at a time capsule, but sure. I didn't connect with them emotionally because it definitely felt like this world does not exist anymore. I also feel um, like when this came out, this is like right around the time of Nixon Watergate shit. So mm-hmm. like that's like top of everyone's mind. So this yeah. definitely was relevant at the time. Yeah. Uh, what, something I was reading about that, which I thought was funny too, was that they got like, he, he, you know, he had, he went through all kinds of, he looked up like equipment and things like that, that they could talk about in the movie. And they, when all the historical stuff came out about the Watergate mm-hmm. shit, like 90% of the gear they used was the same as in this movie Whoa. to the point that Coppola was like, I didn't, I like did not know any of that. Like, like I didn't plan that. Wow, and it was closer to the you know the real shit than he even ever intended. So that's, that's crazy. Kind of, I thought that was kind of interesting. Huh. You got but, it um, right. Nixon yeah. was always uh, doing the two fleshes. Um, I also do want to say too. I, one thing that did not get brought up in this episode, I really like the musical score in this movie because it reminds me of the Breath of the Wild soundtrack. Oh, the little the little piano cues through the movie. I was like, this is fucking. Huh. This is Zelda before Zelda, dude. So there's the Nintendo connection. Yeah. Uh, go back and watch this movie again and realize uh, that every single barrier in this movie is see-through. Hmm. You'll get a kick. Every window in this yeah. movie has the shades drawn, but you could see through them. Huh. He, all the walls in his office are cage walls. He's in a smaller cage that's located in a bigger warehouse. His yeah. clothes are that's see-through. interesting. I hadn't considered every, that. Every barrier in this movie is see-through. See, so and that's there is I'm no privacy. Saying, like, I feel like if I watched it with this in mind or whatever, I would like mm-hmm. it way more. Yeah, I definitely liked it. it more that second time. I really, really was just, I was just surprised by it the first time I saw it. Like, oh, I actually enjoyed that. Um, and then seeing it this last time in the theater was like, damn, I fucking love this movie. There, so There mm. truly is no privacy. And that is more true today than it was in 1974. Yeah. All right, so that's the conversation. Next up is a pick from Sean, and he has told us that he has a movie that makes him horny. Go ahead. Well, I... And yeah, what's getting you hard I these never, days? Dude? I was, never, con- never said I was that. really uh, concerned when you first said that never to said us. That. It's funny. I uh, I never said that, for the record. <laughs> I uh, I was thinking about my old picks, I've, and it's always like, oh, I saw this when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I, and I just keep doing that, and I'm going to try to pick a movie I haven't seen before. Oh, okay. So I, what I did was, I'm like, I'm going to go to an actor, I want to see one of their movies, and go to a movie I've never seen or really heard of before. I said I was going to pick this movie, and everyone I've told is like, yeah, I've seen the movie like a thousand times. I don't know how I've never heard of it. I don't know. I am picking uh, the movie Summer Rental, starring John Candy. Oh. Never heard of it. Never seen it. <laughs> but I love John Candy, so we're going to give it a shot. I think it's a 1984 movie. 
I don't know. I have no idea it, anything about it. This is truly bizarre that you're picking this. Yeah. Having had that conversation at the beginning of this episode, Derek, about a burp versus a belch. And I don't know what that means. I I will foreshadow this episode. I'm not going to give my opinion on the whole movie. I do think it contains one of the best cinematic belches. Okay. I'll leave. I will leave it at I've, that. I've never heard of this. Film. I had never either. I, and I was like, what the I fuck is know. summer rental? I have no idea what this movie is. Oh, good. Me neither. So All Derek, right. I'm with I'm, you. I'm Derek, going I, in cold. Derek, yeah. I think you're going to turn the corner on belches after this. Movie. <laughs> I think you will leave different. All right. So next time we're going to be watching summer rental. I just found out this movie existed five seconds ago and <laughs> yeah. apparently it's going to change my life. You'll wow. Not, you won't you so soon forget. We're All right. See, tune in next time to see if that is true. Uh, next time on movie club. Bye bye everyone. Get ready for that belch. Okay.